What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. Lowe's knows you'll do it right and do it yourself to make refreshing changes to your kitchen and bath. We do it right, too, with up to 40% off select kitchen and bath essentials during the final days of our Refresh for Less kitchen and bath event. That's up to 40% off faucets, vanities, shower heads, and more. For kitchen and bath updates that keep you within budget, do it right for less. Start with Lowe's. Offer valid through 3-6. See store for details, U.S. only. Take the baseline out. Uh-huh. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Hardwood Knox Podcast. I am Dan Favalli, coming at you this time with my co-host, the super-duper, incredibly esteemed, awesome-times-awesome, fantastic-squared Andrew Bailey, who we welcome back after the birth of his son, Benjamin. So we'll offer him another congratulations. I think it's the 10th congratulations we've offered on this pod. Um, before we check in with him, just want to remind everybody to please rate, subscribe, and review us on iTunes. We appreciate every single five-star review we get. We appreciate every single subscription we get. And we certainly appreciate reviews, which help out just as much as the rating. So if you've rated us already and you haven't left us a review, please go do that. Again, as I say every time, it takes about 10 to 15 seconds out of your day. Lowe's knows you'll do it right and do it yourself to make refreshing changes to your kitchen and bath. We do it right, too, with up to 40% off select kitchen and bath essentials during the final days of our Refresh for Less kitchen and bath event. That's up to 40% off faucets, vanities, shower heads, and more. For kitchen and bath updates that keep you within budget, do it right for less. Start with Lowe's. Offer valid through 3-6. See store for details, U.S. only. Hey, and we will forever love you. Um... Today we're gonna we got a lot to talk about today, but first, Andy, how are you doing? I'm doing great. Um, I always look forward to the the amazing intros I get from you. Uh, it's good to be back on the podcast. Like I texted you the other day, I was having like hardwood knocks withdrawals. I I feel like I haven't had this outlet to just spew my nonsense in a while, so it's good to be back. We are excited to have you back. We are very excited that Benjamin is A-OK, I'm assuming, from everything I've Absolutely. heard from you. That is yeah. spectacular. Yeah. It's always good just to have that other Hardwood Knox listener in the world, you know? <laughs> for sure. And like you said, he's already prepping for his first guest spot, so. This is exciting. So that'll probably be a couple <laughs> weeks from now when he's talking and walking. That'll I'm brushing great. him up on value over replacement player. Nice. It's funny you good. say that. Um, my daughter, who's... Two and a half. She's constantly. She'll get like right in his face and be like, "Talk, brother, talk." <laughs> <laughs> it's pretty oh, amazing. Ellie and then is we, a gem. She's hilarious. Yeah. Um. Anyway, we're excited to have you back, and we're not even going to take it kind of easy on you. Like we're just we're baptizing you back in by fire. We're gonna. We got to talk about All Star Weekend. Um, that's coming up. Make picks for all the events, and then we're gonna try. And this will probably look terrible. Let's go like a month down the line, but we're going to make 
postseason seeding predictions for the Western Conference, and then we'll do the Eastern Conference in a pod next week, most likely. So are are you ready to just jump back into the fire? I am so, so ready. And like you said, it's going to be brutal to try and pull that Western Conference apart. It's it's crazy how tight things have gotten um, in that side of the league. I'm glad we wrote down our, we did the 10 seeds, and we haven't told each other yet. And we'll get to that after the All-Star preview, but I'm, I need to remember where I saved it because I want to see how wrong it ends up being. Yeah, this will be a good one to save for sure. So I guess we'll start with the Rising Stars game. We have Team World versus Team USA. Who did you pick? And and roster composition, if you want to rattle that off too, that's fine as well. This is tough. Um, it's, it's it's hard to pick All Star games because you know obviously there's been a big conversation. A yeah, there's been a big conversation over the last few years about like do people even care, and it's kind of clear that they don't in the actual All Star game. Um, I went with Team World, and and I will go ahead and read off their roster. Bogdan Bogdanovich, Dylan Brooks, Joel Embiid, Buddy Heald, Lori Markinen, Jamal Murray, Frank Nilakina, Damana Sabonis, Dario Saric, and Ben Simmons. My thinking, I, I think they have a lot of good guys on this team. What, what kind of puts me over the edge with the world team is they have three members of the 76ers starting five on that squad, and the 76ers starting five all season has been one of the best lineups in the league. Um, I should have looked this up before we started recording, but they've basically been between like 15 and 20 points better per 100 possessions than their opponents all season. So you got three of those guys. Um, plus, obviously, there's tons of other talent on the roster. I think Jamal Murray has been ridiculous this season. Buddy Heald has been one of the best catch-and-shoot guys in the league uh, all season long. I think Bogdan Bogdanovich has surprised some people. Um, you know, there was a little, I, I don't know how accurate it was, but there was a little conversation for a little bit that Damana Sabonis might be better than Miles Turner this season. Um, I think Lori Markin has been a surprise. I could go on and on and on. I, I, I just think there's a ton of talent on Team World this year. I went with Team World as well. And part of the reasoning for me was where, who's the shooter on the USA team. Like, who's the guaranteed, like, floor spacer? Uh, Jason Tatum, Tatum, I guess. Yeah. But everybody else is like, I mean, Chris Dunn has shot the ball better from three-point range this year, but he's not, like, this marksman. I, I mean, like, we're probably reading too much into it because it's the Rising Stars game, but it just seems that team Donovan World... Mitchell will take the shots, that's for sure. Yeah, that's true. I forgot about Donovan Mitchell right there. But it's just t- Team World feels like it has more star power just with – not even just Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid, but Dario Saric has just been playing out of his mind lately. He's been nuts. Mm-hmm. And Jamal Murray as well has been just absolutely spectacular. I think you look at everybody on Team World, maybe Dylan Brooks and let's say Frank Nielakina are the only guys, and Sabonis, I guess. Those three guys are the only non-shot creators. And you look at the U.S. team, and John Collins isn't really a shot creator. Jason Tatum's played a lot of off-ball stuff in Boston this year. And then your main shot creators like De'Aaron Fox or Dennis Smith Jr. aren't the best shooters. I wouldn't put past anything towards Donovan Mitchell because he's one of the key reasons why the Jazz are getting themselves back into the Western Conference playoff picture. But Team team World just, just looks better on paper to me. And the chemistry that Simmons... Embiid and Sarge already have it's like how are you supposed to 
go against it. I wonder if we'll get like an interesting uh, rookie of the year battle within the battle between Mitchell and Simmons. That would be great. They, they should go off for 50. <laughs> they should at least like, I mean, obviously Donovan Mitchell is like seven inches shorter, but I want to see those two guys guard each other for like five minutes. That would be fun. I should we go I, ahead. I, I was going to rally off the, the U S team roster too, since we did the world. Do you want to read that one off? Yeah. All right. Let me do that. Um, Really quick. So Team US is comprised of Lonzo Ball's injured, is not going to play. Malcolm, Malcolm Brogdon is also injured, I thought, unless he returned already. Maybe I haven't been paying attention. There's no. there's an asterisk by his name on NBA.com's listing of it. So Did they name a replacement for him? Um, so I'm not seeing one on the roster I'm looking at. Yeah, I mean, he needs six to eight weeks to there's only ten, left quad. There's yeah. only 10 guys on the US team that don't have an asterisk. So maybe right. they're just going to play shorthanded. Well, Jalen Brown... John Collins, Chris Dunn, Brandon Ingram, Kyle Kuzma, Donovan Mitchell, Dennis Smith Jr., Jason Tatum, De'Aaron Fox. De'Aaron Fox has actually been better than I think a lot of his numbers suggest this year, and he might. He's be been better lately too. He 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 might be perfect for this type of game. You look at it on paper, and they they have so much talent, but I I still go team world there, and I don't even remember what I was going to say before, um, before you had me list off the roster. So that's just going to be a loss for everybody. <laughs> well, that's I'll take that one. That that's on me. Um, all right. Anything else on the Rising Stars Challenge? Oh, I know what I was going to say. I want Frank Nilakina to go off for like forty-five points as like a big <laughs> like fuck you to the Knicks, who, who are just like you have the franchise, which I think is a fantastic nickname on Basketball Reference. The franchise. The oh, Knicks, I didn't even know that. Yeah, the Knicks, like there was in the New York Post or it was the Daily News tweeted out something today saying Knicks say they'll favor younger guards over Jarrett Jack from here on. And I quote tweeted it with, in the Knicks' defense, they didn't know that training camp ended before mid-February. This isn't something we should be talking about on February, mid-February. Yeah, how was, how was this ever a question? Frank Nielakina played 11 minutes in that Knicks loss to the Washington Wizards. 11 minutes. How do you feel about the fact that uh, the Knicks are playing Jarrett Jack, Trey Burke, Emmanuel Moody, and Frank Nilakina all like those guys are all still getting minutes, right? Yeah. Jarrett Jack probably won't get minutes after the All Star break. I say probably, but that would be, you know, like me giving the Knicks the benefit of the doubt, which I can't. I'm. I'm fine with them testing out Moutier, and I get that there's they have some stock in Trey Burke, but Jared Jack should not be playing more minutes than Frank Nielakina, and never should have been. Even when the Knicks thought they were a playoff team, which they never were, let's be clear, even when Kristaps <laughs> was healthy, you drafted this guy. Like he is your he's supposed to be the cornerstone complement to Kristaps Porzingis. I just I want it him makes, to go off. That makes no sense. Yes, thank you. I, I think we're getting to a point where. Um... For a while there, it's like, what's wrong with the team that Hornacek is on now? I think I think it's almost like, what what was different about that one Suns year where he was good? Has he had one good season since that first one? Mm, I actually do not know. That's a good question. I mean, here's my other... I think he's, he's got like a ton of goodwill from that one, I think it was like the 48-34 and 34 Suns team that barely missed the playoffs, which they absolutely blew expectations out of the water, but... His coaching job this season has been rough, but it sounds like you're, you have yeah, a he went He went 14-35 and 35 before he was um, canned in favor of Earl Watson in 2015-2016. After that 48-win season, they won 39 games. He hasn't coached an above 500 team since then. Since then, the, yeah. My thing, though, is 
at some point, it's on the front office. To, unless he's just purposely eschewing what the front office wants and they're telling him, you need to play Frank Nielakina and he just continues to go to Jared Jack, it's the front office's fault. He has bosses. They can tell him to prioritize the youth, which to me they clearly didn't do for the first three quarters of the season. Yeah. There's, I mean, somewhere along the line in that organization, there's, there's problems. <laughs> somewhere. How about everywhere? <laughs> All right. I think we've exhausted uh, the Rising Stars Challenge. Should we move on to the skills? Yes, sir. You can take this one first. Uh, the skills challenge, I went with the unconventional pick. And I actually, maybe we should just, let's read off the participants. That would make more sense. Lou Williams, Jamal Murray, Spencer Dinwiddie, Lori Markinen, Joel Embiid, Al Horford, Buddy Heald, who's a replacement for Donovan Mitchell, and Andre Drummond, who's a replacement for the reigning champ, Kristaps Porzingis. Can we take a moment to appreciate that Andre Drummond has no chance of winning this? Uh, yes, we can. I think we should also appreciate the fact that he even got in here. They were probably just like, well, you already named as an injury replacement for the <laughs> All-Star game. You're going to be in L.A. Uh, we don't want to fly someone else out there. We're good to see his, his new pinpoint passing ability on display, though. That'll be fun. It'll be awesome trying to watch him hit that three-point shot as well. <laughs> for sure. My pick and I'm going out on him here, is Spencer Dinwiddie. I think he is just the, of this list, he's just like the smoothest player of the bunch. I know his efficiency hasn't been great this year, shooting under 40% from the field, under 34% from three. His true shooting percentage is under 54, which is just not good. But he's a fantastic passer, doesn't turn the ball over a lot. So I feel like he's going to excel at those points. And his handles are just, they're so smooth. And while percentage-wise, he's not the best shooter at the rim, he just, there, there's no defender, number one. And I just, I can't, every motion he does is just so like, I don't know what the word would be, seamless, it seems. So I think this competition is going to be like ready-made for him. The one issue, I guess, that could arise is will he be turned off or anxious because of the extra spotlight or anything like that? But he's just a very good, fundamentally sound basketball player, and I think those are the guys that can show out in this competition. He, I'm going out on a limb, and I'm going to pick him. I like that pick. Um, I feel like I've been, I've had both feet firmly planted on the Spencer Dinwiddie bandwagon all season, so I got no problem with that. I think Joel Embiid would be hilarious if he won. I, I mean, Imagine the tweets afterward. I was going to say he would troll everybody so hard. Um, I'm not going to go there. I, I kind of want to pick one of the big guys. I think you reminded me before we started recording that Porzingis actually won it last year. I think Didn't Towns win it one year too? Yeah. I feel like the big men have a, like a little bit of history. Um, but I'm going to go with Lou Williams. It feels like a safe pick. This guy has been, I think, one of the, I would say, like 15 best offensive players over the last two or three years. Is that is that a stretch at this point? Wait, 15, what? 20 best? Over I'm the saying, last two or three years? Yeah. He's clearly been one of the 10 most valuable offensive players this year. Look at his numbers over the last few years. I mean, he has, he's just an insanely consistent offensive player. Um, you can't draw fouls in the skills challenge, so that might go against him, but <laughs> it'll be like the playoffs all over again. 
<laughs> what if he's like trying to pump like people at the three point line and drop out? <laughs> um, yeah, I'm gonna go with Lou Will. I, I feel like he's just he he has every skill really that you need for the skills challenge. He's not really known as a passer, but I think he just he's got every skill that you need. It's dribbling, passing, shooting, and and I I'm pretty confident in him. I feel like he's probably the safest pick. To support your point, Carl Anthony Towns did win it in 2016. To support my point, Patrick Beverly won it in 2015, and that feels like a good argument for Spencer Dimwitty. Tony Parker yeah. winning it in 2012, same thing. How long have they been doing the big men versus guards thing? Was, was this, is only the, this is only the third year, I believe. It started okay. in 2016. That was when like the, uni- the unicorns first became all the rage. Let me. Uh... Derek Rose won it in 2009. There you go. Someone should sign him. <laughs> Din, or, uh, Lou Williams, offensive box plus minus for the last four years. 5.1 this year, 3.7 last year, 3 the year before that, and 4 the year before that. What is his, What is that rank like over that time? That's a good question. I need to do a search. Uh, ramble about... I'm actually looking at these skills challenge winners, which is really fun. Damian Lillard, I remember he, did, he won it twice. Tw- he tied with Trey Burke in 2014, and he won it in 2013. Tony Parker in 2012. Curry won it in 2011. I forgot about that. Nash in 2010. I, I completely forgot that Rose won it in 2009. Dirk, they get a lot of big names to do this thing. Darren Williams won it in 2008. Remember when he was good? He was with the Jazz yeah. then, too. <laughs> Remember when he was good? Yes, I do. Dwayne Wade, 06, 07, back-to-back. Nash, 05. Baron Davis, 04. Jason Kidd, 2003. Most of these names aren't surprising. The Derek Rose one is a little shocking. He's just got that speed. That might be the only shocking one. Darren Williams I just forgot about, but when he was in his heyday, he was he was good. Extremely skilled, Remember yeah. Remember that? It was, I feel like into maybe 2012 or 2011, it was like Chris Paul versus him for best point guard in the NBA, basically. Oh, yeah. There was there was a at least a year or two stretch where I was one of those people that's like, yeah, Darren Williams is better, and I'd pull up their head-to-head stats, and yeah. Doesn't look good now. Were you Back then, were you still on the VORP train? I don't even know if I knew what Vorp was back then, to be honest. Because if I did, I, I, I don't even know if I knew who CP3 was back then. Yeah, <laughs> I'm just kidding. Um, okay, listen to this. Over the last four seasons, players with at least 4,000 minutes, Lou Williams is 16th in offensive box plus minus. Wow. Guys ahead of him are Kemba, Jokic, Conley, Butler, Irving, Kawhi, Lowry, Isaiah Thomas, Damian Lillard. Durant, LeBron, Chris Paul, James Harden, Russell Westbrook, and Stephen Curry. So a top 20 wow. offensive player over the last four years. That's nuts. I and feel like I can comfortably say that. And he's a better passer than advertised, too, even out of the pick and roll, and he hasn't turned the ball yeah, over a ton. So Let's move on to three-point contest. Who do you have? All I'm right. very interested to see your pick. Oh, I guess go through the contestants first. Okay, so we got Eric Gordon, defending champion, right? Yeah. Um, Clay Thompson. Bradley Beal, Paul George, Kyle Lowry, Devin Booker, Wayne Ellington, and Tobias Harris. Um, and let me first start off by saying, like I did before we started recording, I, I, I'm going to need some kind of reporter to figure out whether or not Joe Ingles has even been invited to this thing. Because I would not be surprised if he's been invited and just turned it down. Because that, that just seems like something he might do. You would think but that would guy, out. Yeah, I, I feel like somebody would have figured it out. The guy is averaging or, or shooting um, 
45% from three for the second year in a row. He was he was in the he was first before last night's game. It sounds like Clay Thompson has passed him up now. Last year he shot 44.1. This year he's at 45.3. Um, the year before that, 38.6. Like <laughs> this guy is clearly one of the best three point shooters in the NBA, and to not have him in a three point contest is crazy to me. Uh, but now that that rant's over, I feel like I'm taking another safe pick here. Although I, I, this field is. I think this is wide open. Like I could see a bunch of different guys winning it. Um, I feel like Clay Thompson's a safe pick. He's got that almost robotic form. It's just exactly the same every time. It's compact. It's quick. Um, he's won it before, right? Clay Thompson, yes. Yeah. So I, I mean, there's precedent. He knows how to. He knows how to, you know, rattle them off in this format. So I'm going with Clay Thompson. And he's the guy who I think just passed Clay Thompson or uh, Joe Ingles in three point percentage. So when you were reading off the list, part of me was still saying, "What is Tobias Harris doing here?" Just because I think it's ingrained that he hasn't been shooting the three ball well since arriving with the Clippers. He's at thirty three point three percent, only six games, and still at over forty percent for the season. And this he is, just doesn't. He still doesn't strike me as a three point shooter well, either. Listen to this though. Uh, he's not my pick, but 84 <laughs> players this year have attempted more than 50 pull-up threes. He ranks first with a 47.3% wow. clip on those looks. Wait, you I would not have guessed that. Do you know what's even better? Joe Ingles is second at 46.4. Joe, Joe Ingles is has not led, in the three-point competition. He's He's been in like the top. For most of the year, he was first. I think he's like third now in um, effective field goal percentage on pull-ups from anywhere. So... The guy's obviously one of the best shooters in the league. My pick, though, and I could easily go Clay Thompson, who, by the way, on that pull-up three-point list, ranks third, 43.1% on pull-up threes. Uh, and a lot of his threes don't come that way, obviously, because he's just like yeah. kept coming off curls and everything like that. My pick is Paul George, which I feel like might be a little bit, uh, obviously not a hot take. They like, okay, go ahead. Because he's just been kind of living from three-point range this year. Almost 46% of all of his attempts have come from beyond the arc, which is by far and away a career high. And he's so used to now just catching passes from Russell Westbrook that I feel like this could be a type of competition for him to win. Obviously, he's not going to be catching passes from Russell Westbrook in this, but he's just impressed me so much um, from the three-point line. And he, he does currently... Or no, he doesn't currently, but he's at 43.2% from three overall for this year. I was just going to say, I didn't realize he was that high. Right, and he's shooting on pull-up threes 40.4%, which is in the top 10 in the league. I just, I think his, he's almost like an underrated shooter at this point. Yeah, when you said Paul George, I almost said, I feel like you're going out of a limb, but then I, I looked it up and listened to those stats you rattled off. I, um, I would have had to eat those words if they came out. It'll be interesting to see who wins that one. And like you said, it, it, it's a wide open field. And I think we need to take the time to appreciate that 83.5% of Wayne Ellington shot attempts are coming from beyond the arc. Yeah, it's incredible. Um, he made one of my stats threads. Like uh, it's been at least, it's probably been a month now at one point this season, like 90% of his shots were coming from three, which is fine. I wish there were more guys that did that. That's just, just absolutely shoot nothing nuts. but threes. Yeah, it's cra- It really is crazy. Um, but I, like I said, I, I said this before we started recording, I think every single team could use a guy like that. 
over just sure. shoots all threes because like and his shot attempts some of them are really tough like he just i feel yeah i feel as almost if let's say 60 to 70 percent of his threes come off balance yeah i was gonna say he reminds me a little bit of cj mccollum um it's it's kind of a high release. He's about the same size player. A lot of the shots are just like objectively tough shots, but he still obviously is hitting uh, a good chunk of them. He's shooting his three point percentage is thirty eight point seven, um, which is obviously still pretty good. It's not quite to that magic forty, but he's like you said, he's taking a ton of tough shots. What is he attempting for thirty six minutes on them? I haven't really checked in a while. Um, ten point three three point attempts for thirty six minutes. And twelve point three field goal attempts, so that's absolute, like we said, pretty much everything. That's absolutely nuts. And he's um, third in the league, by the way, in total catch and shoot three point attempts with an effective field goal percentage of over sixty. Who's ahead of him in attempts? Robert Covington and uh, Clay sense. Thompson. That's not even kind of a little yeah. Those both make sense. Um, Miami also has been just better all season when he's on the floor as opposed to off. Their offense is just awful when he's not on the floor. You need like <laughs> him and Goran Dragic on the floor at all times. And Kelly Olenek has also been like a plus-minus hero for them. Who knew that shooting helps? Yeah, I have no idea. It's funny because the Heat's <laughs> offense is not that good, and yet they have one of the best shot profiles in the league because they're a smart team, but they're still 25th yeah. in offensive efficiency. And I don't see a clear path for them to get better. They've been even worse over their last 10. They're 26th. Yeah, it is weird. I don't. I, I need to like look at lineup data for them, but it seems like... They just don't have the... They need They need the guy that Deion Waiters guys was like, supposed to be and just yeah. isn't. They need that guy. <laughs> so I'm not saying they need Deion Waiters. They need the player that they paid him to be, which he'll never be. Yeah, that was an interesting... Of all the contracts they signed this summer, that was the one I was like, eh. <laughs> I don't know if you guys are know what you're getting here Uh, (laughs) to the dunk contest yes so our participants are your boy donovan mitchell who is replacing aaron gordon and i want to shout out aaron gordon because i feel like people who get to their fourth year like him don't want to risk pigeonholing themselves as these high-flying specialists and just don't want to do the dunk contest just because at some point you have more to lose than gain He's already yeah. the 2016 co- competition between him and Zach Levine. That was the apex for him, probably. And yet, I appreciate it. Might be him. the, it might even be the apex for the dunk contest. Yeah. Period. I did publish an article, Bleach Report, though, with some ideas about dunks that could spice up this year's competition. If people want to check it out, there's one about setting someone on fire and jumping over them. <laughs> so, uh, we have Victor Oladipo from the Indiana Pacers, sneaky good pick for the dunk competition, in my opinion. Larry Nance Jr. from the Los Angeles Lakers, and Dennis Smith no, Jr. from the, the Cleveland Cavaliers. Oh my God! Wow, from the Cleveland Cavaliers. He needs to <laughs> jump over Chetty Osman. I've decided. <laughs> yeah. Dennis Smith Jr. Dallas Mavericks. I'm going to pick, and we were talking about this kind of before the podcast, and I don't think you're going to agree. I'm picking Donovan Mitchell just because I I know he kind of seems like a power dunker, but he's going to have more of an opportunity to do stuff in the dunk competition. And it's not like, yes, having him on the court, it kind of gives Utah like this transition or more of a quicker twitch element, but they're not this team that is going to feast on fast breaks. 
they they just they don't play even now when they're playing a little bit faster they don't they're still in the bottom 10 of transition frequency and i would bet that many of those opportunities are barely transition attempts it's not him getting out in front of all these defenders and having time to do anything in game that would make us think oh he's more than just like jump over people and sl- and like do this monstrous slam and maybe he lives off of that in the first round to get his groove going but i could see him pulling out something incredible maybe he'll be the guy who actually jumps over a car instead of the hood of the car like blake griffin <laughs> he definitely gets up there um the, and he's had some tomahawks in traffic that are just like and he, they um, they're he, incredible he i don't wrote, even i'm I wrote, at a loss obviously i wrote but. a dream dunk contest lineup and he was actually in it of the four that i picked i had john collins in there i think instead of larry nance and i had aaron gordon in there who was initially picked instead of Victor Oladipo. But I had, Don, I I had Donovan. Jalen Brown would have been yeah, an he, interesting guy to have Yeah, he was an honorable into. mention for me. So was Zach Levine, just because he said he wouldn't do it again, basically, and he's also working back still from the ACL injury. He's barely played. But he attempted that, you saw the video, of that 360 dunk from the foul line. He, put, he basically won the 2017 dunk contest before it ever happened, even though he yeah. was injured. Anyway... I, just looking at his dunks, he had so many highlights. There, I, I wanted to embed videos of every single one of his dunks this season in that article. Uh, Mitchell's? Yeah, he is my pick, yeah. and I'm not sorry. And maybe he has this added chip on his shoulder because it surprised me that he wasn't invited in the first place. Maybe they kind of justified it saying, we wouldn't really put Dennis Smith Jr. or Victor Oladipo in the skills challenge, and we want Aaron Gordon there, and we just need that ceremonial big in Larry Nance Jr., so we'll throw Mitchell in the skills challenge. It was weird that he didn't get picked initially because there was like a groundswell for it long before it was announced, and he's been was like... that groundswell your Twitter timeline? <laughs> it's, it's certainly a part of it. Um, my pick, and I, my whole argument for it, I've already blown up um, by looking up their heights. I went with Dennis Smith because I feel like shorter guys... Um, a lot of times it just looks better because they have to get further off the ground to do what they're doing. Mm-hmm. And I thought he was the shortest in the competition this year, but him and Mitchell are both listed at 6'3". So Mitchell has a little bit of that going for him too. Um, he's, this is another guy whose in-game dunks have just been ridiculous this season. And he just he just seems so explosive when he's going up to the rim. Um I don't really have any evidence to say that he's better at like twisting or, you know, windmilling or whatever he needs to do in the air than Donovan Mitchell is, but uh, I just feel like his dunks are going to look a little bit crazier uh, off the ground. Like I said, I feel like Donovan Mitchell is mostly a power dunker, and I could obviously like nobody's going to try anything super fancy in a game, so this this might be our first opportunity to see if he has that in him or not, but. Um, yeah, I'm going to go with Dennis Smith. I, do you think Larry Nance even has a chance? He's another guy that's a power dunker, and, and I think big guys often, like you said, they're, they're almost like a ceremonial thing in the dunk contest. If he could Although get... I say that with... Go ahead, having, sorry. I, I say that knowing what Aaron Gordon did um, when he's in there, but anyway, go ahead. He's not really a big, though. Like I would say Larry Nance Jr. is more DeAndre Jordan than Aaron yeah. Gordon. The... Um, well, the thing with Larry Nance is if he gets someone to toss him passes, maybe he could just catch one that like from above the backboard or something because it seems like every dunk he's just forever in the air. That's true. The thing I like about Donovan... Maybe he Mitchell- could have David West pose in front of him for one. 
<laughs> the thing I like about Donovan Mitchell for this competition more than Dennis Smith Jr., and it's in part the way that the Mavericks' offense is run, but Donovan Mitchell is 10 of 11 on alley-oop dunks. And let's take time to appreciate that a point guard has 11 alley-oop dunk attempts. Dennis Smith Jr., I thought, would have more, only has six. He's five of six, so he's only missed one as well. But it's just... And his vertical's insane. He was measured, I think, at 48 inches, his vertical, before the before the season, and that's just nuts. But Donovan Mitchell's just so useless. I think he's has just another level in this competition that we don't get to see in games. I'm not going to blame it on the way the Jazz play, but I that might be a part of it because the Jazz's offense is just a little bit more conservative, and those opportunities for him to kind of show out aren't going to be there. And... Again, they he still managed to basically stand out, in my opinion, with his dunks anyway. I think I just realized why I think Dennis Smith is smaller than um, Donovan Mitchell. Do you know what Dennis Smith's wingspan is? No, I can't say that I do. Is it under... Is, is it under... I don't know. Is it under 65 inches? No, wait, that would be... Excuse me. Is it under... It's got to be way under 7 feet. His wingspan is. I can't believe I said under sixty-five inches. For some reason, I can't find it super fast on Draft Express, but Google says it's six feet, and I knew it was short. Um, and Google says Mitchell's is seven feet, which sounds high, but I know his is long. So he it, has draft even if NBA Draft dot net. NBA Draft.net has him at a 6'5 wingspan, I believe. That's still Dennis not. Smith? Yeah. I don't know. Where did Google get six feet from? I, I, I mean, that's still not, you know. Shorter than his height. The other thing is, but, I feel like Donovan Mitchell might be conservatively listed height-wise, too. Dennis Smith is 6'2 in shoes. Donovan Mitchell's probably. Yeah, I honestly think it's, I think the height is probably Dennis Smith is listed a little bit too generously. For sure. He does not look 6'3 to me when he's out there. No. Um, so even though they're both listed at 6'3, I'm riding the Dennis Smith is smaller so it looks cooler train. I love that. I think I'm, that's a big part of why Nate Robinson won a couple of those dunk contests. Oh, for, I, mean, I mean, he was sure. he was really good. But that one year when he missed like 10 attempts in a row and still won, I was just like, five, nine. what it's, are we doing? I mean, he's 5'9 and dunking. That's what we're doing. I mean, yeah, that's fair. <laughs> Um, uh, I just ahead. want the record to show for our large swath of jazz fans listening that I am caping for Donovan Mitchell and Andy Bailey has completely written him off of this competition. He's voting for Ben Simmons of rookie of the year. <laughs> he thinks OG Ananobi is going to have the better NBA career than Donovan. Oh, Mitchell. okay. Let's, let's, let's slow down here. <laughs> you want to move on to the actual all-star game picks? Yeah, let's do it. I want you to list, <laughs> I want you to list the roster of team LeBron. <laughs> Amazing. And I think it wasn't it you who said that like Team LeBron is the new Madden curse. Yeah, and they almost did you see he almost lost Lamarcus Aldridge. He's they said that he's <laughs> not going to miss the All Star game, but he's he needs to rest his right knee. I believe it's so, incredible that it's just like um, you could build an All Star team out of the injured players on LeBron's. It's insane. So he has Aldridge, uh, Bradley Beal, Demarcus Cousins injured. Anthony Davis, it says, is injured on NBA.com. I didn't realize that. Um, hasn't he been playing? He went down. The, he went to the locker room last night. Um, I thought he had finished the game, though. They might just be saying, like, it's typically. He doesn't have an injury listed. Um, yeah, he, was, he went to the locker room at some point during that game against the Lakers. 
but he he finished the game. He had 33 Good. minutes. I think he'll be in there. Um, Kevin Durant, Kyrie Irving, Kevin Love, Victor Oladipo, Kristaps Porzingis injured, John Wall injured, Russell Westbrook, Paul George, Andre Drummond, Goran Dragic, and Kemba Walker. So yeah, there's there's quite a list of um, injured players there for Team LeBron. You, 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 can make, you can make a hell of a starting lineup with it, especially if, if Anthony oh, yeah. Davis is injured as well. But I don't. Yeah, he'll be playing. Uh, for Team Steph, they do not have any injuries. Giannis Antetokounmpo, yeah. Jimmy Butler, DeMar DeRozan, Joel Embiid, Draymond Green, James Harden, Al Horford, Damian Lillard, Kyle Lowry, Clay Thompson, Carl Anthony Towns. Who is your pick? I went Curry. Um, I feel like all the shooting with him. Harden, Lillard, uh, Thompson, Carl Anthony Towns, whose his shooting numbers are insane. I don't think people talk about it enough. The guy is seven feet tall, takes a bunch of threes a game, and has an effective field goal percentage over sixty. Um, it's just crazy. Uh, Demar Derozan's added threes this year. Kyle Lowry's always solid from three. I just there's just so much shooting on that team. I bet you they hit like I, they'll probably take at least I don't know seventy five threes in that game, and I don't know how many they'll hit, but um, they're going to score a lot of points. I picked them originally, too, and I'm going to stick with them. This was when we thought the roster was healthy. It was because of the the spacing. Just because the, the Team LeBron, and the starting lineup is still nuts on Team LeBron. Uh, yeah, there's obviously tons of talent over there, too. And he has the better starting lineup with, with a healthy Anthony Davis, even without DeMarcus Cousins in there. But I just you look at the names on like Team Steph coming off the bench: Butler, Al Horford, Damian Lillard, Kyle Lowry, Clay Thompson, Carl Anthony Towns. Those guys all shoot a zillion threes, and Draymond Green is probably an okay three point shooter in the All Star game, but he'll just throw lobs all day. Yeah, I I can't. I I just I I can't talk myself into Team LeBron anymore, especially with some of all these other injuries. Kristaps Porzingis, I think, would have been important to what he was trying to do maybe not John Wall so much but he didn't you know he didn't add a ton of spacing on his team maybe because you have Dragic and Walker but Drummond isn't really going to help him spacing Paul George is interesting uh, again the starting lineup for Team LeBron is just worlds better because Paul George is the starter for DeMarcus Cousins now right yeah I don't know how they do that my um, guess is it's Paul George because he was the first injury replacement named yeah, but do they bump up one of the original All-Stars to the starting five and have him come off the bench? I just, I don't know. Does LeBron get to pick? He would definitely pick PG. Oh, that would make sense, yeah. But just, I, just team Do you definitely. care about, um, so the, the replacements were George, Dragic, and Walker, right? Yeah. Um, and Drummond, obviously. Oh, Dr- no, Drummond made it first bet. I that's terrible that I keep forgetting that, that he made it the first time. I'm a terrible person. Were you fine with all those replacements? Goran Dragic does not belong there. It should That's have been one that was weird to me too. People were talking about Ben Simmons, and I think he definitely had a case. My pick would have been Chris Middleton. I'm not gonna lie. After Kemba Walker, I would have went with. He's been really good. Yeah, I would have went with Chris Middleton. I think without looking it up, I, we did that podcast a few weeks ago where we had like our own All Star picks. Um, I think mine would have been Ben Simmons. The we guys both had him like initially. 17, 7, yeah. and 7. It's crazy. Chris Middleton has just put together such a quietly great year. 
And there's... I, I mean, a, I wouldn't have had a problem with that one. His actually. shot selection is still not the greatest. He's shooting under 35% from three. But 20 points, over four assists per game. His defense, he's left hung out to dry a lot just because of the way the Bucks were playing defense for most of this year. And he plays more minutes than anyone when Atentacumbo and Bledsoe are both off the court. True shooting percentage is still... The league average is about 56, and he's around 57 He's just, uh, to me, he remains one of the most underrated players in the game, and I would call him a top 30, 35 NBA player. I I, I would have been all in on him. I, I wouldn't have been, Ben Simmons or him would have been fine for me. I just don't think Goran Dragic, fantastic player, I don't think he he belonged there. They can't replace, the replacement had to be from the same conference too, right? Yes. Okay. Because I think Lou Will would have made more sense too, but he's obviously not in the Eastern Conference. Um. Yes, now we All get right, to move on we, to the... We, we I, covered everything. Yeah, Slept I was going to say that. All-star preview. All right, so how do you want to do this playoff thing? Do you want to start from the top and work our way down? I think that, that'll be more interesting. That's exactly what I was thinking. Who do you have finishing first in the West? I have the Warriors, despite the, the fact that they have not been playing well of late, of late, and their defense has not been great for them anyway. If you look at what they've done this season, they're still in the top five of defensive efficiency. But according to Cleaning the Glass, they allow more transition frequency off of live rebounds than any other team in the league, which just isn't them. To me, That's interesting. To me, however, that kind of just reeks of them not really trying. Yeah. yeah, and I, they have the easiest schedule remaining in the Western Conference throughout the rest of the season. I get that Andre Godala has just been sneaky. I don't even know if it's sneaky anymore. I think people are starting to catch on. I got killed earlier in the year because I was like, I don't even know if Andre Godala is worth playing anymore. The bench units that he leads, their net rating has slowly weathered. So so there, there's definitely concerns there. The other thing that I find fascinating for them is just they're still you would, they have so many great shooters on their team. Because you're, if you want to look at Stephen Curry, Kevin Durant, Clay Thompson, like those guys are all-time shooters. But if you yeah. just look at their bench, outside of Nick Young, there's just there's nothing, and you don't want to play Nick Young because his defense is awful. The Warriors' second unit ranks dead last in three-pointers made per 100 possessions, and the gap separating them from second to last Philadelphia 76ers is 1.6 three-point attempts wow. per 100 possessions. That is absolutely nuts. That's crazy. And if you want to cite, just to talk about the Heat really quick, why, one of the Heat's issues is that their bench leads the league in three-pointers made per 100 possession. They probably need to futz and fiddle with their lineup combinations a little bit more because their That's, starters yeah. clearly are Ellington not. Need, Ellington and Olenek need to be playing more. After those top three guys you listed, Thompson, Curry, and Durant, um, yeah, Andre Iguodala has 19 threes all season, and he's shooting 23%. It's just awful. Pat- Patrick McCaw has 16, and he's shooting 25%. Omri Caspi's 10 for 20. I don't really know why he stopped shooting threes this year, because that's a guy who can like give you some spacing off the bench. It's they really missed the boat. They could have used Bellinelli or Joe Johnson. I know Joe Johnson spurned oh, them sure. for Houston. Um, Bellinelli, super interesting. I have the Warriors at number one, too. Um, like you said, their strength of schedule is pretty easy. 
from here on out, I think they'll probably maybe maybe feel a little rejuvenated after this all-star break. Um, and just the fact that they have, like you said, all-time great talent at the top, I feel like that's going to win out. But at the same time, <laughs> Houston has some all-time great talent at the top too. And this is kind of crazy. Um, as of last night, 538 projections, they now give the Rockets a better chance of making the finals and a better chance of winning the title than the uh, Warriors. And they're pretty... So, And then ESPN's BPI still has the Warriors favored. Um, to win it all, they're at about 41%, but the Rockets are up to 25% in terms of chances of winning the NBA title. I just... I think it's easy to still say, like... And I don't blame guys like Jeff Van Gundy or, like, it's just a lock for the Warriors... Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like for the first time, basically since this run started, I think there's a realistic argument to be made for somebody else having a chance. And I, I, th- I think it starts with the Rockets. It has to. My concern with the Rockets, so we both have the Rockets at number two. I'm gonna, Yeah, I was going to say I got them second. They have, their schedule is, is kind of middle of the road, one of the five hardest to close the year. The other thing for me has just been, are they going to be healthy enough? They've just they've had these random yeah. injuries. Chris Paul, James Harden had his hamstring injury. Trevor Rees is dealing with a hamstring issue. Luke Mbamut missed some time. They're deep though, especially with the addition of Joe Johnson and J- Gerald Green has been fantastic for that team. The mm-hmm. Celtics they really almost can, have more guys than they can play now, which is a great problem to have. The, and they're, yeah. they're built to they can definitely give the Warriors a run. So while we're picking them for second, I think it's kind of important to note that. Just because, sort of like the Warriors, and probably even more so than the Warriors this year, they can assume any identity. You want to run super small, put P.J. Tucker at center. They haven't experimented with it too much this year, but it's been enough that it's like, okay, whoa. Um, and and I, P.J. Tucker's starting at the four for them now. Right, and the other thing is, but if you want to go kind of big and more physical, now you have Nene. If you want to kind of go in between those two identities. You can put Capella at the five, and now you have Brandon Wright if he's sort of healthy enough. So they're just they're, they're nuts. And one of the things that's interesting to me, and they've only played 168 minutes, but the three-man combination when you have Ariza and Bob Moot and Tucker in the game, plus 28.5 points per 100 possessions, 121.8 offensive rating, 93.2 defensive rating. And I... I would not be surprised if they roll that out a little bit more in the playoffs. They pointed, I think they talked about this on a dunked on podcast earlier this week, that the Rockets should just basically be closing with that small lineup where you have P.J. Tucker at the five in every single game in the playoffs. Because it's, I a, would be, it's a mismatch for basically everyone except the Warriors. And then you're probably going to need to close with that lineup against the Warriors anyway. And then... You have more than enough offense with just Chris Paul and James Harden. Those two have basically been number one and number two in ISO efficiency all season long. So you don't even—I mean, you really don't—you don't even need much of an offense beyond those two. And you throw those three defensive-minded guys out there with them. It's like that's been that's been the disappointment. You talk about those three playing almost 170 minutes together. Can you guess how many minutes have come? How many of those minutes have come with James Harden and Chris Paul? Um, well, the way you phrase the question, it's, it can't be very many. It's five. Yeah. So they haven't even rolled that lineup out really. Really? And the injuries 
four of these guys, with the exception of Tucker, have dealt with injuries. Do you want to, this again? It's five minutes, but this is I'm looking at it right now, and it's just nuts. Their offensive rating in those five minutes. Again, we're talking about a half of quarter, so I want everyone to chill. A hundred and ninety point four. They can keep it up. That's totally sustainable. Is all I'm saying. Um, the other thing about the Rockets, so we've talked about their small lineup. Capella's been insane this year too. Um, I did a search on him a couple weeks ago. He's averaging a double double, and nobody in the history of the game has done it in as few minutes as he's doing it. Like he's playing like 25 minutes a game and averaging a double double, which is crazy. And the three man lineup of him, Harden, and Chris Paul is 28 and one this season. And they have a net rating of 13.2. Um, the three-man lineup of Curry, Durant, and Green is 24 and 10 and has a net rating of 13.5. They have lost the, – the Rockets have lost one game when Harden, Capella, and Paul all play. Damn. It's just crazy. You know what also has been really impressive with Clint Capella? And I'm sure some of it has to do with the fact that – if you're going to play with P.J. Tucker a lot, he's a physical guy, so he'll kind of help brush off bigs under the basket. But Capella, he can still get bullied around in the post, and yet his defensive rebounding percentage ranks fourth in the league, 32.9%. Defensive, he's grabbing defensive rebounds while he's on the floor. That's behind only Dwight Howard, DeAndre Jordan, and Andre Drummond, all of whom are like these brute just forces. And and look at the guys. If you look at the guys directly behind him, so I'm going to name Clint Capella. Is, I'm going to read you the top ten in defensive rebounding percentage: Andre Drummond, DeAndre Jordan, Dwight Howard, Clint Capella, Demarcus Cousins, Jonas Valanciunas, Pau Gasol, Carl Anthony Towns, Anis Cantor, Joel Embiid. Those are all these physical presences, and Clint Capella is just this spindly guy, and he's fourth. And again, credit it. I, I, again, the minutes he plays with PJ Tucker, I'm sure that they help, but for someone of his build to be up there, that's just super impressive to me. And he's kind of, he does, he has mastered the art of sort of grabbing rebounds before they officially begin their descent, but I don't, I don't really care. That's still, that's huge. Yeah. He's been incredible. Um, one more thing on him. He's averaging, so he's averaging 14.4 points and 11.1 rebounds, but he's only playing 27.2 minutes a game. So it's 19 and basically 15 per 36. And he leads the league in field goal percentage. Um, I mean, he's just—he's the perfect complement to those those two point guards that they have, James Harden and Chris Paul. And it's perfect situation for him too. So I think we've so we both have Houston second. We didn't like officially jump into them, but it sounds like we've we've pretty much covered them. Should we jump to third? Oh, absolutely. This is where maybe we'll diverge. This is where it gets interesting. Yeah, um, I have the Timberwolves here. I have the Spurs. Okay. Um, the Spurs are currently third. And so the reason I have the Spurs slipping a little bit, obviously Kawhi, the, the Kawhi Leonard situation is still a situation. I don't know if we really learned anything. The, the, wait. <laughs> the Kawhi Leonard situation is still a situation. I just want FYI. I love it. I need, to, I need to tweet that. Um, <laughs> you sound like learned- that guy from Jersey Shore. What was his name? Something the situation. Mike the situation. Mike the situation. Yeah. <laughs> That's perfect. I'm doing a Photoshop uh, after this of him at the Kawhi Leonard situation is my, still the situation. My retweet finger is at the ready. We haven't learned anything about that since the like Zach Lowe Woj. He's not report, playing again right? this season, is he? 
I would I would be surprised if he did. Me too. Um, and now, like you said, Lamarcus Aldridge is kind of hampered. Uh, I don't. What happened to Rudy Gay? Like, is he ever coming back? There's just so many injuries on that team, and they have, according to TeamRankings.com, the hardest remaining schedule, regardless of conference, in the league uh, from here on out. And this this was really crazy to me. Oh boy. Uh, Five thirty-eight gives them the same percentage chance of making the playoffs as the Jazz right now. The Spurs are down to an 88% chance of making the playoffs, according to 538. Their chance of making the playoffs from BPI is still 98. So maybe split the difference there. But um, there there is some things stacked against them. Obviously, I still think they're going to make the playoffs, spoiler alert, but I think it's going to be hard for them to hold on to number three. I, this is probably more blind faith of trusting the Spurs. Yeah. And I'm making this prediction, assuming Kawhi Leonard's not going to come back. Their offense is going to be tough to improve upon. They're, I believe they're 16th in offensive efficiency right now. Yeah. And when you have Javante Murray kind of leading the charge right now, that's going to be... He's good. And he's... I already think he's a fantastic defender. He's just so long. And there are things that he he's. Can, He's one of the best defenders in the league already. And I think he's going to – he's not going to be – I don't know if you call him like a – say he has a star's ceiling, but if he ever develops a jump shot, he doesn't really shoot threes now, and he's at 21.1% from three. Maybe if he kind of develops a more consistent mid-range game, he's shooting 41.9% between 16 feet and the three-point line where almost 11% of his shots come. Like that's maybe – a good harbinger. He doesn't shoot well around the rim, though. He he needs to work on that. And they're also he still turns the ball over a little bit too much, even though his turnover rate has improved from last year. But he's a fantastic defensive rebounder for a guard this season. I I just their defense is second in the league right now, and they have some perky offensive lineup combinations. You their their most used lineup on the season, which. It's probably a mark of how many injuries they've dealt with. Has only appeared in in 17 games. But Aldridge, Kyle Anderson, Pau Gasol, Danny Green, and Patty Mills, their offensive rating is 108.3. And like those lineups will get you by. Even the Aldridge, Kyle Anderson, Pau Gasol, Danny Green, Tony Parker lineup, 120 offensive rating. And that's their third most used lineup. There are some combinations that are really intriguing when you start to look at putting LaMarcus Aldridge at center if Rudy Gay ever comes back and you're I think he's supposed to be out until the end of February right now as he recovers from his uh heel injury which is obviously also side note I think I've said obviously 50 times on this podcast <laughs> I, I you're talking about you know his right heel like that's a red flag because he's already dealt with some uh, Achilles injuries but I don't know. I just think they're going to grind out enough offense, and Javante Murray's only going to improve there, and they do have enough of these, as I said, perky lineup combinations to get there. And they're the Spurs. I feel like they're going to, their offensive rating is going to improve over the second half of the year, and I know they have the toughest schedule remaining in the NBA, as you pointed out, tied with Indiana. They're going to be, when we get to the Eastern Conference pod, that's going to be a team to watch. They're, they yeah. seem like an automatic playoff team, but that schedule is going to be tough for them. I'm... I, I just have blind faith in the Spurs, I guess. And I know it's been up and down, but we need to appreciate the fact that their defense is now second 
in in points and allowed they, per hundred possessions. And they're they're close to the Boston Celtics, mind you. They're about a point behind them, which is fairly substantial this late in the season. But it's they have the they have about the same net rating as the Boston Celtics too. Still three point two overall. I, I think I think they'll be able to hold serve where they are, but that might say more to me or say more about my lack of faith in the Minnesota Timberwolves. Yeah, and so maybe that would be a good time for me to kind of talk about why I'm big on them. Um, I, to me, it all comes down to Jimmy Butler and Carl Anthony Towns. I, I think that's like I, – I don't hear a ton about them, and maybe it's because I'm not as tuned into the Timberwolves as other people are, but where would you rank that duo, like, league-wide? Ooh, that's a good question. And I – I wasn't prepared to ask that or even answer that myself, so I don't even know. I don't even know what my Who are the my ones that are guaranteed be to, to be better? Steph and KD. Yes. LeBron doesn't have that second partner. I don't think you can. No, say I don't know. I don't know if I would say LeBron and Love is better than Butler and Towns. That um, is that it. I, I, you could you could make some. Oh yeah, James Harden, Chris Paul. You could obviously make some different Warriors combinations, but let's just limit it to Steph and KD. Jimmy Butler right now is first in what the NBA. What about Michael Beasley and Jared Jack? <laughs> well, they transcend this conversation. So. <laughs> um, Butler is first in the league in real plus-minus wins. Carl Anthony Towns is seventh. Um, just real plus-minus. Butler is second. And Towns is 15th. Um, and when those two guys are on the floor... Minnesota scoring 114.3 points per 100 possessions, and they're allowing 104.9. That's a net of 9.4. Um, really, really good, obviously. I don't trust a lot of guys beyond those two. I think Taj Gibson has been a, a very pleasant surprise for them. Um, Tyus Jones is like a plus-minus hero. I think Jeff Teague's done some nice things, even though there's a growing contingent of people who argue for him to come off the bench. Um, I think Andrew Wiggins' struggles are well-documented, although I, I feel like they're starting to figure out how to use him a little bit better. Really what it comes down to for me is I, I really do think that that's one of the best one-two punches in the NBA. And we, we, we talked about it for just a couple minutes. It is hard to find other duos that are better than them. I think we can say definitively that the Warriors and the, and the Rockets have one. Um, maybe OKC with Westbrook and Paul George. I, other than that, it's and I, th- I think even that one might be debatable. I, I feel like this is one of the best uh, top five for sure. I guess at this point, the way they've been absolutely. Playing. So that's that's sort of my case for them. They don't have a super easy schedule either. Um, I think they are sixth among Western Conference teams in remaining strength of schedule. Eighth in um, the league overall, according to team rankings. Yeah. So, um. You know, not as hard as San Antonio's, but not a cakewalk either. But I, I just feel like those two guys are going to continue to sort of drag this team a little bit higher up the standings. Now, my case against them is kind of twofold, or maybe it's threefold. I still don't trust their defense. They Which went they went through yeah. that spurt where, where they were fine, but they're still 26th overall. An, another uh, thing I, that we have to consider, and this kind of coalesces into my second argument, they don't have... A, outside of Tyus Jones, really a single solitary good bench defender, depending on how you feel about Gordy Jang. The, the bench in general has been a problem for them all year, I think. Their bench is allowing 111.2 points per 100 possessions, which is <laughs> by far and away the worst mark in the league. 
that's bad. Yeah. And there's not much you can, there's not much you can do to change that. They're not going to find someone on the buyout market that helps them. A lot of people, the starting lineup has been better. Or I, I can't say wait this, till they sign Derrick Rose. I shouldn't. Oof. I shouldn't. Yeah, a lot of people were surprised they didn't claim him off waivers that he cleared it. But uh, th- a lot of people have talked about how the start, the other four starters play better statistically with Tyus Jones than Jeff Teague. You can't move your three-year, fifty-seven million dollars point guard to the bench, especially no, when he's sure. going to actually hurt your defense outside yeah. of the starting lineup. Uh, the, the solution maybe is: Do you give Jang more playing time uh, because he's just he's been hot and cold? Like there's, and it's more cold. So ever since he logged twenty minutes against in a win over the Raptors on January twentieth, he has not eclipsed the twenty-minute plateau, and he's had more games basically under fifteen minutes. His last two games. He's totaled fewer than 24 minutes between them. Uh, there's just there's no solution there, and that makes your bench essentially unplayable. And it shows because they're dead last in total bench minutes played by a hundred and three minutes, and they've played 60 games, which is the most in the league. So we're talking about a team that has actually had more opportunities to play their bench and than anyone else in the league and still ranks dead last in that department. It's just, I, I don't know how you get around that, and I worry about the starters or their key players being burned out by the time that yeah, you get fair. to the playoffs. If they had an easier schedule, maybe, or if you trusted their defense more, perhaps. I just, you're relying on a lot of guys, like a few guys for to, to log really heavy minutes. You have Jimmy Butler over 37 this year. Andrew Wiggins, we criticize him a lot, but he's played in every single game for them and is averaging over 36 minutes per game. Carl Anthony Towns has played in every single game, averaging more than 35 minutes. A 32-year-old Todd Gibson is averaging 33.5 minutes while playing in every single game. So they all their five starters are averaging over 33 minutes per game. No one else is averaging even 20. It's just, I don't, I can't talk myself into them, which is why I think we need to get, I'm going to skip ahead and say, who do I have? Let me, let me give one more note on the Wolves before you go there. That they they Um, stink? I'm just kidding. (laughs) Oh, wait, my last case against them, that's still uneasy, just before, so that you can respond to it. Their offense has been spectacular this year. Uh, If you could have told me that they would rank third in offensive efficiency, 60 games into the season, heading, basically heading into the all-star break. They have a game left against the Lakers as we record this fantastic there still just seems to be a lot of smoke and mirrors there for me they are in shot frequency 24th in attempts at the rim 29th in three-point attempts they are fourth in long range uh long mid-range attempts and second in all mid-range attempts overall it just doesn't seem like a team can really feast how long can they feast on those types of shots if that makes any sense well i think if I, I would need to look this up, but I think if there's anybody who you don't mind shooting from the mid-range, it's probably Towns. Um, this isn't really a rebuttal. I just think it's interesting. When Tyus Jones, Andrew Wiggins, Jimmy Butler, Taj Gibson, and Carl Anthony Towns are on the floor, this is and this is a decent sample size, 259 minutes. They're outscoring opponents by 24.3 points per 100 possessions. If you replace Jones with Jeff Teague, it's still a good net rating, but it's all the way down to 8.2. Yeah, they've been unca- uncannily good. They're insane when, when Tyus Jones is out there. Um, 
But I'm going to skip ahead to... Yeah, I was going to say, let's move on to the next team. I'm skipping ahead to who do I have at number four, which is not the Timberwolves. I have the Oklahoma City Thunder. Interesting. Oklahoma City Thunder. Wow, I keep saying Thunder. (laughs) Oklahoma City Thunder at number four. I like that nickname for them, the Thunder. Their defense has not been good since Andre Robertson went down. They're 19th in defensive efficiency. They actually have a negative net rating and have gone four and six over those 10 games that they've played thus far. They have the fourth hardest schedule in the league remaining. I might just be trusting talent here with the way that the chemistry between Russell Westbrook and Paul George has been brewing. And I understand there's legitimate concern about how Carl Anthony, oh oh my God, Dan, Carmelo Anthony (laughs) fits in to all this. So I just, I, I, I understand it's a risk. For some reason, I just trust this team more, even without Robertson in the fold. Their I offense has been them. spectacular, by the way, just to me. And Steven Adams is a beast. Uh, you kind of look at they've had they, they're going to need they're going to struggle to find success replacing Robertson. Uh, they when you put a Brenus in for him, they have 113 offensive rating, but the defense is almost 113 as well. Playing a Brenus and Anthony at the same time is kind of a disaster. Maybe you have to get more creative staggering minutes of Anthony and who you're using to replace Robertson. There, there's a lot of problems for them, but I just, I, again, I think this just says more about my lack of faith in the Timberwolves. As you said, they have a top five duo in Butler and Carl Anthony Towns, but I just, I don't trust that roster balance one bit. And that's fair. Um, we could also add that Andrew Wiggins is posting career lows and box plus minus and PER and true shooting percentage. So after those top two, it really is, it's tough to really trust anyone. Um, but I actually, I have the Thunder fourth as well. And that might surprise you that I don't have the Spurs there, but oh, geez. Um, I, I agree with everything you say about the Thunder. I, I, I feel like they are starting to click despite the fact that they're kind of having to figure out on the fly how to play without Andre Roberson. And I think a lot of people are starting to realize just how important those kind of players are. Um, Cause that's a, that's a team with a high profile, but Westbrook and George, like you said, and like I said earlier, I think that's one of the duos that you might be able to say is better than Towns and Butler. They're just, and, it, and I think if they maybe play mellow with, with the bench a little bit more um, and they, I think you might've said this, but they do have an easier schedule than the Spurs. Over the rest of the season, it's it's definitely a talent thing with me too. Um, I just feel like they're, despite losing Roberson, starting to click in a little bit better. So I have them fourth as well. And you mentioned Stephen Adams. Um, he, I think he's had to concede a lot of defensive rebounds to Russell Westbrook over the last couple of years. His offensive rebounding numbers are insane. He's averaging nine point one total boards a game. Five point two of those are offensive. His offensive rebounding percentage of 17.5 leads the league, um, which makes me curious right now. I wonder how far ahead of everyone else that is. Um, His offensive rebounding percentage is a full percent higher than Andre Drummond's, which, and and Drummond, I think, is like perennially one of the best offensive rebounders we have. Um, I I just think there's a lot lot to like with the Thunder. So I'm with you on, on them fourth. But like I said, I keep pushing the Spurs down. I actually have them fifth. 
I also believe that the Thunder kind of have a blueprint. Blueprint to re- I can honestly not freaking talk today. <laughs> uh, I think I've been talking too much on the radio lately. I'm getting tongue tied, and that's not a humble brag. That's just that's fine. Tongue tied. Uh, they have a blueprint to me. I don't want to say to replace Robertson, but maybe to survive without him defensively. They've if, been pretty good with Houston in that. Houston and minutes. Grant. I was going to say Jeremy Grant, and if you're going to play Carmelo Anthony still with that top lineup. Hustis and Jeremy Grant really paved the way for you to get both offense and defense, especially with the way Hustis has been playing. Jeremy Grant can space the floor a little bit, or at least enough that defenses have to respect him. And the Thunder are actually a plus 12.2 points per 100 possessions when he plays with those other four starters. And Hustis has only played 18 minutes with those guys since Robertson went down, but the Thunder are plus 17.7 points per 100 possessions in those minutes. Maybe you start to favor the, you'll, you need to start to favor those guys over Terrence Ferguson and Abrinas because there's just a better recipe there. And I, I get, yeah. it's funny that you're, where I'm at with the Timberwolves, you're at with the Spurs. It just comes down to looking at their roster situations, a lack of faith. So you have the Spurs yeah. fifth, I have the Timberwolves fifth. Um. One more thing on Steven Adams. There's only been six players in NBA history who averaged at least five rebounds per game, and more of them were offensive than defensive. And it's kind of a random list, but it's it, it's not something that happens very often. Um, He's nuts. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so we've, we've actually both talked about our number five teams yeah, already. Yeah, so we're moving on to six, seven, eight, can... which we should probably expedite since we've gone way over the time limit that we were <laughs> That's hoping fine. for. Who do you have at number six? Okay, I, I feel like I have fought this urge for the entire season on the podcast, but I, I'm I'm getting a little bit homer on this one, and I have the Jazz making it all the way to number six. It has a lot to do with their remaining strength of schedule. Um, according to team rankings, the only team in the Western Conference that has an easier remaining schedule is the Sacramento Kings, who obviously don't factor into this discussion. Um, so they have an easier remaining schedule than anybody in this jumble that we're about to go over. They have found, obviously, something in the last 10, 11 games. Um, a lot of it has to do with Rubio suddenly figuring out how to shoot again. But you can't just say that, like, okay, when he stops shooting, they're going to start losing again because he's missed the last three, and they're still on an 11-game win streak. There's just – this is so balanced up and down the roster. I think this, like – egalitarian everybody gets to touch the ball and everybody you know plays our defense system is really clicking in for them and obviously this this winning streak is going to end at some point but they have i think 15 out of their their next 25 games at home um i think they comfortably finish in like the mid 40s in wins and they are gonna leapfrog a bunch of teams and, and get all the way to sixth i have them sixth as well Oh, okay. <laughs> and I don't really have anything to add other than the early returns. And I got yelled at on Twitter by citing the Jazz's numbers through they played 12 minutes or something. It was a quarter with Jay Crowder on the floor. Oh, yeah. And the Joe Ingles, Gobert, Donovan Mitchell, uh, Royce O'Neal combination. They've been dominant in that small sample. You look at the numbers when Donovan Mitchell and Rudy Gobert and Joe Ingles share the floor without Rubio, and the Jazz are a fireball. Royce yeah. O'Neal has been playing so well. You've pointed it out many times to me. He's been He was better for them or been better for them consistently than Rodney Hood was this year. Having that extra punch, you still have one of the deeper benches. If you get more out of Rubio, 
that's going to be absolutely huge for you. You can't expect him to hit shots the way he's hitting shots, but there is something to be said about him just being... We've kind of criticized his aggression at points this year. He's never been a chucker, but it just relative to what he's done, it, it kind of seems like he's been a little bit chucker because he's been missing so much, and he is also attempting more field goal attempts per 36 minutes than at any point in his career. But just having him be aggressive, and if he can shoot 32.4% from beyond the arc for the year... If if that just if we're still taking that full average, not even talking about what he's been shooting, that's fine for them. They don't necessarily need anything more. I'm all in on the Jazz, especially with the way they've been playing. The fact that Alec Burks spent a lot of this year playing better than Rodney Hood and he's just back yeah. out of the lineup is incredible to me. You wrote a fantastic piece on Bleach Report about this. There's a part of Jay Crowder is going to be renewed defensively within Quinn Snyder's system. It's just he easy already to looks believe. like yeah he he looks way more engaged than, and I didn't watch a ton of Cleveland, but every time I watched, he did not look like the same player. It just wasn't the right fit. And and Utah might be. And as you said, Derek favors has been good for this team as well. Mm -hmm. And one last note on them, 538 and BPI both have Utah finishing sixth, which is crazy. And no, nobody would have thought that before this 11 game winning streak started. Um, All right. Who do you have seventh? I have the Jazz. Um, I don't have the Jazz. Wow. I have the, <laughs> I have the Nuggets. It feels like kind of a you risk. Know, I, I have the Nuggets there, too. They've been up and down all year. They have the fifth hardest schedule remaining in the league, according to team rankings. They're going to get Paul Millsap back. That's like a, tra- a huge trade deadline yep. acquisition. And I'm very interested to see, now that I, I believe it was still this way, they've dealt, they're dealing with some stuff um, with Jamal Murray as well now, so the, and the starting lineup has shifted, but I believe they removed Wilson Chandler from the starting lineup in favor of Will Barton uh, with how I've been well, watching. Chandler's been starting at the four now. Oh, yes. Okay, yeah. I'm very interested. I forgot that they pulled Mason Plumlee. I'm very interested to see well, they're probably going to pull Barton is what I was getting at, and that lineup, when, you've put, when they played Chandler, Harris, Jokic, Millsap, and Murray this season... 224 minutes, so not an insubstantial sample it's, size, plus 12. It's still, their, it's still their most used lineup, too. I actually looked this up the other day, but go ahead. Yeah, and so that's super promising to me. And you you do have some extra weapons now. Will Barton, if he's going to come back off the bench, that deepens your bench by default. You, you also have Trey Lyles as a competent NBA player, basically, which is Incredible huge. turnaround, yeah. And that's just, I, 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 that's big. I don't know if they're going to have enough perimeter defense to really make noise in the playoffs or any anything like that. They seem like kind of this first-round exit team, but maybe they'll be fun. Devin Harris improves their backup point guard situation, even though... Big time. I just... That was that whole thing is a mess. You waved Jameer Nelson, who was a more than competent backup point guard, to sign Richard Jefferson, who doesn't play, <laughs> and then you end up trading Emmanuel Moutier to get a backup point guard who I wouldn't say is that much better than Jameer Nelson. He's better insofar that Rick Carlisle was able to play him at the two and the three in Dallas. And even having Mason Plumlee back on your bench, that's a solid backup big. There's just, there's a lot of talent on this roster. Maybe it'll take some time for Millsap to work his way back, but none of the other teams in this conversation, especially with the Pelicans missing DeMarcus Cousins, the Clippers, being kind of a mishmash of role players at this point. None of the other teams impress me enough to to stick them in front of the Nuggets. I love the Nuggets. Um, I was going to mention that same lineup that you did, 
the the starting lineup they started the season with is was really good. A lot of people talked about how Jokic and Millsap weren't fitting together, um, but the numbers simply don't back that up. And I, I think a lot of it begins and ends with Jokic when you're talking about the Nuggets. He is averaging 19, 12, and 6.5 per 36. Um, his three-point percentage has slowly climbed up to 35 this season, which would be a career high. Um, since January 1st, he's averaging 17.2 points, 10.9 rebounds, and 7.3 assists, and a steal per game. Um, he's, he's an incredible player. I think they have a bunch of guys that are perfectly suited to play next to him. Murray, Harris, I think uh, both Harris's actually are good cutters um, off of his off of his high post catch. Now I can't talk. Um, it's contagious. I, <laughs> I just love what they can do offensively, and I think you know they're going to continue to. This is a young team too, so I think they're still growing, and uh, I feel like they are right now. They are seventh. So I'm, we both have them just sort of hanging on to where they are. Um, and that takes us to eighth. The this other thing about the Nuggets really quick is Wilson Chandler has been a little frisky over his last five games. He's, yeah, uh, that's a good point, actually. Um, do you have his numbers handy? Yeah, he's shooting better than 50% from the field during that time. Three-point percentage is still under 32, but based on how he's been – it's under his season average, which is 32.1, but he's just – He's averaging 2.6 assists during that stretch. Looks like he's finishing at the rim a little bit better, a lot more engaged on the defensive end. If he can get to 34% from three, that would be huge for them. The game changes for him, though, I believe, when you sub in Paul Millsap for Will Barton. Will Barton is spectacular, but Paul Millsap is going to draw defensive attention that Will Barton just doesn't. For sure. And I think, um, you know, I've thought this all season long is – if, if they could get a slight upgrade at small forward, they would be even better. And I feel like Wilson Chandler has sort of become that <laughs> small upgrade on himself in the last few games. He averaged a career high, uh, almost 16 points a game last season, and he just disappeared from the offense for most of this year. And it was against the Suns the other night. He had 26. I'm pretty sure it was a season high. And it just it changes who they are significantly if they can get a little bit of punch from that spot. So I'm, I'm glad you brought him up. Um, Who do you have at number okay. eight? This is where it gets interesting, obviously, because now we're going to start eliminating teams. <sighs> this is so hard, and I'm like I'm torn even as I reveal it. But I have the Pelicans at number eight. Much respect and Anthony Davis. I, that's exactly what it is. Um, they lost to Marcus Cousins. Rajon Rondo has been a weird fit all season. But I think of the teams that we have left, which is the Pelicans, Blazers, and Clippers. I feel like Davis is is the best player, and I'm just kind of saying I'm, I'm going with the best player here. And I think the Meritich addition helps. Um, Anthony Davis must really not want to play center for them to bring in a Mecca Okafor to take those minutes and not have him start with Meritich. But um, I, I'm sure those two will still play together plenty, Meritich and Davis, and I like that fit. Drew Holiday has been really, really good this season. Um, I think Etwan Moore has been better than people expected. Darius Miller is like found money. Um, but, but what it really comes down to with me is Anthony Davis. I think that's a fair pick. Anthony Davis did say he doesn't mind playing center right after the DeMarcus Cousins injury. Whether or not he means that is a different story. They also just might be trying to make a Mecca Okafor that ceremonial starter because they want that 
punch off the bench. And you're not, obviously you couldn't move DeMarcus Cousins to the bench, but you have Miritich who's done some nice work off the bounce this year, particularly before getting to New Orleans. And they just might want to try leveraging that perhaps, especially when you look at who else is in their starting lineup already. and, And they have a very good amount of shot creation there. So that might factor into it. I was I was torn between them and the Blazers. I ultimately went with the Blazers because of the their offense has improved a lot since the turn of the calendar. They're seventh in points scored per 100 possessions since January 1st. The caveat here is they are tied for the second worst defense in the league during that time with the Phoenix Suns, and it still seems like they're kind of searching for answers in the front court. They've they've played Zach Collins more. I I don't know. I, I don't know what the solution is there. Ed Davis has been good for them. You still have Nurkic. It's just I, I I don't know. Maybe it's because I trust Damian Lillard and the CJ McCollum combination. And this team is deeper than New Orleans is at least on paper. Even though they've had uh, their issues d- during this stretch. And I'm actually I'm going to have to label May Culpa here. I was looking at their bench numbers before. So their bench has been terrible defensively since the turn of the calendar. They have been since January 1st. Where are they? They're 23rd in points allowed per 100 possession, which isn't great, but overall they are sixth in offensive rating since January 1st. And and that difference means a lot to, to me personally, just because they struggled so much with it early on in the beginning of the year. They only have a slightly more difficult schedule than the Clippers and the Pelicans. It's the ninth toughest in the NBA overall, according to team rankings. It'll be it it'll be interesting to watch unfold because they've had they've just gone through these stretches where they've been utterly awful, it seems. Their performance at home has been uninspiring at best. They're seventeen and eleven and typically Which is that usually that's like one of the best home court advantages in the league. Right. Uh, they are playing 500 basketball on the road, and they pull. I know we could talk about whether the Warriors try or not, but they did beat the Warriors the other night. They they have some big time offensive performers, and they do have just a lot of depth. And even when things aren't necessarily humming for them, they they do they can mix and match their rotations. And probably one of their biggest issues is some of their most important lineups might not include Nurkic, who's been something. The offense has been good with him on the floor during this stretch, but it continues to be better when he's off the floor. And putting him in the post is basically a wasted possession. The other mm-hmm. thing I'll say that I like about this team is when they basically run Napier and then one of C.J. McCollum or Damian Lillard with a bunch of bench guys, three other bench guys, including Napier, those lineups have been straight fire for them. And if you can stagger those minutes and you know that you're basically never going to play without one of your two stars on the floor, or at least you shouldn't be. That kind of helps bridge the gap for me. Uh, the, the Pelicans, I penciled them in as a playoff lock after the Miritich trade. Uh, there's just something, uh, just watching them since then, maybe it clicks after the All-Star break. Maybe I'm just turned off by that intermittent Anthony Davis injury the other night. I, I, I just I have to roll with Portland. I don't feel good about it at all. I don't really trust anybody on – there's three guys I was going to say. I don't trust anybody after these three. But um, Damian Lillard, CJ McCollum, and Shabazz Napier. A- after that, the, the rest of that roster is very uninspiring to me. But it was still a really hard pick because um, 
Damian Lillard has just been unreal. He, in his last three games, he's gone for 44, 39, and 50. And that 50-point game, he played fewer than 30 minutes. Um, since January 1st, he's averaging 27.5 points, 6.9 assists, 3.7 rebounds, and 1.1 steal, shooting 49.3% from the field, 40.2 from three, and 91.7 from the free throw line. Um, he has been insane lately and i i know i said that the reason i picked the pelicans is because I, I think they have the single best player of these remaining teams but damian lillard made it a tough call for me um but i think ultimately the reason i went new orleans over portland is i just after those three guards there's just no one who really jumps off the page to me i think ed davis has been good but um i don't know if they just can't play him for for you know management reasons or what uh they, they keep having to play Yusuf Nurkic, but other than those top three, it's it's just hard for me to get excited about anybody on that roster. Nurkic is playing under 25 minutes a game over the last 10. Oh, that's good. <laughs> which is probably just a good number. For, that's what's going to make his free agency fascinating to me. He, his like ideal role is probably what Alex Cantor Anderson. was yeah. for the Thunder. Yeah. And Cantor is uh, sort of not in the ideal role for himself now. Um, okay, so that brings us to number 10, and it sounds like we both have the Clippers. Yeah, I had the Pelicans at 9 case, and the Clippers at 10. Can we make a case for the Clippers making it? I'm trying to, and I, I like a lot of the talent they have on the roster. Like the the idea of Lou Williams and Tobias Harris and DeAndre Jordan and Avery Bradley, it looks good on paper. I just... would. Is Lou, can Lou Williams be your – this is what you have to ask yourself. And can Lou Williams Gallo be your best Gallo has been better player? lately too. Yeah, Gallo has been a lot better lately. But can you – I don't know. Can you Can you talk yourself into them in, in any – I'm just – I'm wondering what their case is. They're like – it's just – I can't. I can't talk myself. I don't know if they're going to be good enough offensively even with all that talent post-Blake Griffin to justify it and they're certainly in my opinion not going to be good enough defensively as the season goes on and maybe if they had like a really easy schedule but they have the 11th hardest schedule remaining in the league and granted we're talking about heavy western conference schedule that factors into it as well but i don't know it's really tough for me they have a lot of i love the individual pieces but and their their offense maybe it'll be really good, but they're 14th in offensive efficiency since the Blake Griffin trade. And Blake Griffin trade, they've actually been fifth in defensive efficiency. So, may, so maybe I'm basically mis- misspeaking. And they're five and two since then. I get that. I, I I don't know. It it just to me they're the team with the least star power of this bunch that we're talking about. And their best player, I guess you can say it's Lou Williams, but their let's say their lone star isn't a guy who's going to help you much from scratch on the offensive end in DeAndre Jordan. Yeah, it's it's kind of hard for me too. I will like give a political answer here and say that I honestly wouldn't be surprised with any variation of the order from like 5 or 6 all the way to 10. Yeah. So I I wouldn't be shocked if the Clippers made it. Um and I think the reason they can is because of the offensive weapons that they have. Um Tobias Harris is having a great season. Lou Williams, like we already talked about earlier in the podcast, is is one of the better offensive players in the entire NBA. 
over the last few years. And Gallinari, since he got back from his injury, it's only been seven games, but he's averaging 20 points, um, shooting over 50% from the field, over 42% from three, and almost 100% from the line. And he's getting to the line again, which was that was a staple of his game in years past. If he can stay healthy, which is like a massive question mark at this point in his career because he's seemingly always hurt, um, I, I think they have a roadmap to a really good offense. Um, but like you said, it's just uh, I just feel like there's more to get excited about with those other rosters, and obviously we we must both feel that way because we have we both have this team finishing tenth. But yep. again, I wouldn't be surprised if they if they were the team that snuck in. No, it wouldn't surprise me either. I guess it would. I guess relative to everyone else, it might though. The other thing that's been curious is it seems Doc Rivers is reluctant to play what I think could end up being their most potent five-man unit, and maybe he doesn't think he gets enough defense out of it, but Bradley, Gallo, Harris, Jordan, and Williams, I feel like that should be one of their most used lineups, and it really hasn't been. They've played 10 minutes across three games together. Their defensive rating during that time is superb, but again, we're talking about 10 minutes. He seems more inclined to go with oh, I'll play Austin Rivers instead of Lou Williams, or I'll play Austin Rivers instead of Avery Bradley. And I, I just don't, I, I mean, I get I actually, it. I think that lineup's fine with Austin Rivers instead of Avery Bradley, too. That lineup has actually been shit. <laughs> Being outscored by 16.3 points per 100 possessions, giving up 117.8 points per 100 possessions. It can't be more than like 20 minutes, though, right? It is. It's more than 30. It's been their second most used lineup over oh, okay. this post-Griffin stretch. It's We're working with small samples, and when you yeah. swap out Williams with Austin Rivers, that lineup has been really good. But I, just, I feel like the other lineup should be one you're experimenting with more, and it's going to get tough when you start to pull DeAndre Jordan out of these lineups. Can you get by? Well, Montrez Harrell has been, been really, really good, good this year, but too. he's not going to work with if you play him with both, or if you play him with Gallo and Rivers and Lou Williams at the same time. The defense is going to start to get really messy. Even if you want to put Teodosic in there as well, that could be a point of concern for them too. I don't. They, it wouldn't surprise me, and they do have a roadmap to a good offense. Maybe Doc Rivers will be more experimentative with with his lineups, but I don't trust the cosmetic makeup of this team really. And they've been well. Co- Doc Rivers, I think, has done a really good job this year, and you know I'm hard on Doc Rivers every chance yeah. I get. This is honestly maybe like the best coaching job of his career, at least dating back to the championship year with the with Celtics. all the two way guys that he's had to basically scrap together for sure. Yeah, keeping them in the playoff run is really impressive. Like I was not alone in thinking they were just done when they made the Blake Griffin trade. And even overall this season, because and this steps on the toes of my other point, because they when you look at the talent they got back in the Blake Griffin trade, it was kind of easy to say they got better defensively just because Griffin isn't a great defender. But they've been they've overachieved on the defensive end essentially the entire year. When you look, at, they're 16th in defensive efficiency on the year, which is fine. It's it's about average, and they don't have outside of DeAndre Jordan, and you've you've dealt with a Patrick Beverly injury. You only just got. Avery Bradley, who is not the best team defender, that's that's surprising to me. And to be fifth since it's the interesting how is, competent uh, Tia Dosich has been on that end all year too. Uh, that's absolutely shocking. I thought he was going to be worse than Jose. Uh, yeah, I mean everybody was saying that like this is he's going to walk into the NBA as the worst defensive player in the league, and they've been okay with him. I don't anyway, know how, many, how many DPOI votes does he get? <laughs> Mine. 
my non-existent one. Um, okay, I think we've, unless you had anything else you wanted to add on the Clippers, I feel like I kind of cut you off there. But No, not at all. That this The last three seeds were, I actually had, I had no problem cobbling together the, the top five order. The, the last three seeds make me, I don't feel good about, I probably feel most confident in the Jazz pick moving to sixth, and yet to go from tenth to sixth over the last quarter of a season, I know that there's only currently a two-game gap. It's it's still kind of a tall yeah. task. Um, just as like an exclamation point on this whole discussion, um, there are four and a half games separating the third-place Spurs with the tenth-place Jazz. There are two and a half games separating the fifth-place Thunder with the 10th place jazz. So we, we both just went through our orders one through 10 in the Western conference. And outside of that top two, like this could be jumbled in any (laughs) variation of ways. So it's, it's going to be a crazy last, you know, month or two of the season to figure out what this order is actually going to be. And it will be fun to save this and see how, how far off we were. (laughs) Probably terribly far off. (laughs) Um, having said that we've, so we, we covered all the all-star festivities, uh, gave you our final rankings for the Western Conference. If you have a problem with any of our picks, um, yell at us on Twitter. Dan is at Dan Favale, F-A-V-A-L-E. I'm at Andrew D. Bailey. The show is at Hardwood Knox, and the uh, sponsor is at NBA underscore math. And like Dan said at the top of the podcast, we really appreciate reviews. Uh, ratings they help us and what would really really help as well is you know if you guys enjoy this podcast make sure to tell friends and family to subscribe to um, really obviously we we love to have as many listen listeners as we can and we appreciate you guys who tune in uh, regularly for us it, it it means a lot to us and until the next episode we leave you with a shout out to Bino Udri. Lowe's knows you'll do it right and do it yourself to stay within budget when making updates to your bathroom. We do it right, too, by offering up to 20% off select toilets during the final days of our Refresh for Less kitchen and bath event. Step up your style even more with floor tiles starting at just 49 cents a square foot. For your next bath project, do it right for less. Start with Lowe's. Offer valid through 3-6. See store for details, U.S. only. Lowe's knows you'll do it right and do it yourself to stay within budget when making updates to your bathroom. We do it right, too, by offering up to 20% off select toilets during the final days of our Refresh for Less kitchen and bath event. Step up your style even more with floor tiles starting at just 49 cents a square foot. For your next bath project, do it right for less. Start with Lowe's. Offer valid through 3-6. See store for details, U.S. only. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime.